Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. It's kind of a interesting market trade. Lots of uh, kind of comebacks on this grain complex, especially when you look at how the wheat market traded earlier and how it ended up finishing out. Uh, on the flip side of that, we look at the livestock side. It was lower on the cattle, but definitely higher within that hog complex today. A variety of things that we're going to check out in this market is where we're at looking at this trade as we head into spring planting, for example. Uh, we do have a listener that's asking about the Texas fires, the near-term effects we might see on this cattle market, maybe long-term as we move forward. And the other question, 1988, 2012. Those are two years that are starting to mimic, or I should say this year is starting to mimic those two years. We'll take a look at that as we continue with National Ag Week. And Mike Zuzalo joins us with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, I wish we could start out this conversation saying, man, we've got some great rains in the West and some dryness going on in the East. And it is totally polar opposite. Yeah, and I think both producers, uh, especially the row crop producers, are getting more and more nervous on both sides of the Mississippi River. I had just gotten off the phone with a longtime client in Indiana and had talked to two clients in Illinois this uh, this morning, Susan, just about specifically the weather and what it looked like this week. And, and so you can tell they're really getting nervous to get some work done. They see a couple inches of rain potentially coming they see a very cold weather pattern as well, uh, probably developing here as we get to the later part of March. And I think it's making them to really start to rethink how they're going to get everything done. And so it's very, very different from the rural radio uh, listening audience uh, for the most part in terms of what type of situation they're looking at. Uh, in that part of the corn and bean belt going into the springtime planting. So as we look at this trade right now, is Chicago paying attention to the dryness in the west and the wetness in the in the spring, I mean in the east? Yeah, I think they are starting to, but I kind of feel as though, and I, and I wrote about this in my newsletter this past weekend, the idea that I continue to see maybe present in this market right now, Susan, is the cash market appreciates the fundamentals that are going on whether it's the crude oil market and what's happening with Russia, Ukraine, and OPEC, um, and or the grain markets, whether it's the wheat weather or whether it's the corn weather or the lack of planting potential in Ukraine, you, you've got a very big premium in the cash markets when it comes to the energies and the grains versus the futures markets. And I'm starting to feel as though those cash premiums are in place exactly because of the question you're asking that – the futures traders, and we saw this in the commitment of traders report on Friday. Uh, they they pulled back in the managed money category, pulled back, you know, subs- not too much, but substantially uh, in in terms of their net long positions in the grains, and they did uh, even more so in the livestock sector, to the point where they've dropped the open interest. I think they're the responsible party for the big drop in open interest since the March 10th. USDA WASDE report. And so I think we're under a rebuilding, a structural rebuilding now and putting premium back into the futures market. And I think Monday was a key element to that as far as maybe they're starting to look at the rainfall totals from this past weekend and seeing that it's pretty disappointing in a large swath of Oklahoma and Kansas. They know about the wildfires in central Texas, but now they're just starting to maybe price that back in, whereas the cash markets will uh, head of the uh, curve on that. So looking at, we we do have a planning intentions report that will be here before we know it. It hasn't had a lot of attention as of yet in the, in this market trade. 
No, and I think this is part of it, too, is there's just so much on the plate, even for the managed money people that run computer algorithms. They, I, My opinion is they haven't been set up for this type of algorithm where you have a potential world war or the brink of a world war and certainly a major regional war that's lasting a lot longer than a lot of people expected in a key growing region. But I, I think you bring up a good point about the intentions report. It's not only going to be about intentions. It's, it's probably going to be a lot more about harvested acres and a lot more about the yield potential. And, and what I say, why I say that is because the crop conditions, uh, the Kansas specifically uh, wheat conditions report, which we'll get some more information out this afternoon later. Um, but the good to excellent was down 1% in Kansas last week at 23%. The very poor to poor last week was 38%. And yet last year at this time, uh, a week ago, it was only 22%. So you've got 14%, or excuse me, 16% less uh, conditions that are less than what you expected a year ago, and that US, and yet USDA has a yield number of 49.1 for the 22-23 yield. Uh, the 21-22 yield was 44.3. So I think we're in for about a five bushel slide this year again. Uh, when it comes to the all-wheat yield, if we don't see these rains develop pretty nicely and pretty quickly. All right, you brought up those rains. There's a lot of folks waiting on with bated breath. I jokingly said I was going to leave the truck window open. I was going to fill the clothesline, and the dog that loves the rain was going to leave him outside. Anything to help bring in some sort of moisture to this area? I think there is. I mean, this is where the CPC spring weather outlook continued to show warm and dry right when the European and GFS models we're starting to suggest that we could turn into a cooler, wetter bias here the second half of the month, more like a traditional spring and, and early April showers coming in as well. And so I think we're going to know a lot by this weekend, both in terms of what has been put in the rain gauge and then whether that model, the, the pattern really does shift and we see follow-up rains come Monday, Tuesday of next week. But the, the, the way I look at it right now is this is our best shot for essentially must-have rains and must-have precip. Otherwise, we are going to, and going back to your earlier question about the futures premium or not in this market with the domestic weather, we're probably going to have to go back and add quite a bit more premium because not only would then that put the Ukrainian crop in jeopardy of getting planted, it would also put the U.S. crop in jeopardy of even having a chance to stay viable now that it's broken dormancy. So that, in turn, pushes you back to what available supplies you have become that much more precious, that much more premium. Folks, we do have a lot more coming up as we continue with the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. At Fontenelle Hybrids, we understand there could be some tough decisions this spring when choosing seed for your farm. Fontenelle still has a good selection of Extendiflex soybeans with triple stack tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to handle your toughest weeds. Contact your local Fontenelle dealer about Extendiflex soybeans and ask about our locally proven corn hybrids too. Always follow IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzlo is joining us with Global Commodity Analytics. And I'm going to do a quick little plug here. Mike, I want folks to tune in this weekend. We have the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, which you are going to be a part of this weekend, where we're going to dive, I think, more into what's been happening 
on these things we've been talking about today. But check Mike out this weekend on our program. So having said that, you wrote a great weekly um, commodity market that um, went out yesterday. And as I read it, it was literally like a picture was being drawn in the brain when you talked about the New East and the New West. And I think that really is describing what's happening in this global world we're in right now. Well, thank you very much, Susan. That means a lot coming from you. I, I really admire you, what you do. Um, you know, to not go into too much detail, the the original mindset that created this idea of a new East and a new West was when Russia started their um, co- conflict with Ukraine, you know, formally about a month ago, we knew China and the Russians had made a 15 different packs with one another, agreements with one another, whether it was wheat or crude oil. So we could kind of see the writing on the wall that they had a bilateral agreement in preparation for this conflict. But one of the big countries, in fact, the third largest consumer of crude oil in the world, India, and a country that has to import about 85% of its crude oil, did not come on board with the Western nations. They stayed on the sidelines, if not abstaining in the Security Council vote, essentially giving the green light to what Russia was doing by some standards. And that got me thinking, and I thought, why would India be in that situation when they're a democracy also? And I think it really boils down to the push on the decarbonization at this moment in time after the pandemic. You know, we have to realize that India, China, and Russia are all very close to one another in terms of their uh, geography. And they make up about 30% of the world's landmass, just those three countries, and they make up about almost 40% of the people of the world. And so if they don't have the type of developed economy and the ability to move to electric and a green energy policy that the West, the Europeans and the United States, want them to move to, they may see that as an existential threat. And so it kind of answered a question to me as to not only why did India not do anything in terms of voting on the Western side, but also why maybe did Russia go ahead and move with China's agreement right here, right now? And I think it could have been because of the climate issue. So this could really do some damage to globalization as we've known it since essentially after World War II. And so wrote the first part of probably three parts just specifically related to commodities. Well, and I think it really kind of, as I said, brings it into picture. I mean, how much we have changed over time and how this is kind of evolving and changing the way we look at markets because you and I were talking during the commercial break about the fact that uh, the Russia or not excuse me Russia but Ukraine's ag minister is saying they want them to plant more cereals and less corn to be able to feed their country yeah this is a famine situation and I was actually now I can say this but at the time I was not so fortunate but I was fortunate enough to be in South Africa in Johannesburg during the Arab Spring back in 2011 and it was kind of similar situation with Russia not having a lot of exportable wheat supplies and China also having a short crop. And that Arab Spring really was started by the bread riots in Egypt, and and it really spread throughout the Middle East and Africa. And I saw that firsthand at the airport when I was getting back on the plane to come back to the States after being at a grain and livestock uh, conference with a major uh, livestock and and grain consumer, a a world uh, uh, poultry and, and livestock producer. And it was very telling how it was very difficult to get back on that plane uh, without your passport and without a special ticket that you were given by the airline after checking in. And it was that significant in my memory that uh, 
the food really does create a lot of problems when there's not enough of it, especially in those countries that are not rich world countries and it had such a large percentage of their consumption of their food bill is their overall paycheck. So something we really need to keep in mind as we go into this summer, I think it's really, really important, along with the Federal Reserve interest rate hikes, along with the high energy prices, we also have, even more importantly, this food issue. So we have got a lot of folks talking about 1988, 2012, and now 2022, of history repeating itself with a weather pattern. So hopefully there's something of those two years we can learn about this year, should we not get the rain we need. Yeah, and I like those, I like those analog years and correlation years for weather and supply-driven markets, weather supply-driven markets. But I also throw in two other years and this goes back to this new east, new west, and that's 1974 and also 1980 um, because of the political side of the equation, the policy side, because of the high in- interest rates or the higher interest rates coming because of these super high energy prices and super high food prices. I think we'll see policymakers be one of the major forces working against commodity prices. Our time went fast, Mike. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Well, the best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Sign up for the three-month subscription for $150, and that'll include this special report that I'm working on right now. And See what you think of the research and see if it doesn't help your farmer ranch. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. The Fontenelle Final Bell brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all the local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.